Chapter Two of Haste and Waste: The Young Pilot of Lake Champlain by Oliver Optic. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two: The Port Rock Ferry. Lawrence Wilford was a full-fledged waterfowl. From his earliest childhood, he had paddled in Lake Champlain. His father had a small place consisting of ten acres of land with a small cottage. But it was still encumbered with a mortgage, as it had been for twenty years, though the note had passed through several hands, and had been three times renewed. John Wilford was not a very sagacious nor a very energetic man, and had not distinguished himself in the race for wealth or for fame. He wanted to be rich, but he was not willing to pay the price of riches. His place was a short distance from the village of Port Rock, and John Wilford, at the time he had purchased the land and built his house, had established a ferry, which had been, and was still, his principal means of support, for there was considerable travel between Port Rock and Pointville on the Vermont side of the lake. The ferryman was a poor man, and was likely to remain a poor man to the end of his life. Hardly a day passed in which he did not sigh to be rich, and complain of the unequal and unjust distribution of property. He could point to a score of men who had not worked half so hard as he had, in his own opinion, that had made fortunes, or at least won a competence, while he was as poor as ever, and in danger of having his place taken away from him. People said that John Wilford was lazy, that he did not make the most of his land, and that his ferry, with closer attention to the wants of passengers, might be made to pay double the amount he made from it. He permitted the weeds to grow in his garden, and compelled people to wait by the hour for a passage across the lake. John Wilford wondered that he could not grow rich, that he could not pay off the mortgage on his place. He seldom sat down to dinner without grumbling at his hard lot. His wife was a sensible woman. She did not wonder that he did not grow rich, only that he contrived to keep out of the poorhouse. She was the mother of eight children, and if he had been half as smart as she was, prosperity would have smiled upon the family. As it was, her life was filled up with struggles to make the ends meet. But— Though she had the worst of it, she did not complain, and did all she could to comfort and encourage her thriftless husband. The oldest son was as near like his father as one person could be like another. He was eighteen years old, and was an idle and dissolute fellow. Lawrence, the second son, inherited his mother's tack and energy. He was observing and enterprising, and had already made a good reputation as a boatman and pilot. He had worked in various capacities on board of steamers, canal boats, sloops, and schooners, and in five years had visited every part of the lake from Whitehall to St. John's. Speaking technically, his bump of locality was large, and he was as familiar with the navigation of the lake as any pilot on its waters. Indeed, he had occasionally served as a pilot on board steamers and other vessels, which had earned for him the name of the young pilot, by which he was often called. 
but his business was not piloting for there was but little of this work to be done unlike his father he was willing to do anything which would afford him a fair compensation and in his five years of active life on the lake he had been a pilot a deck-hand a waiter and a kitchen assistant on board steamers and a sailor helmsman and cook on board other craft he picked up considerable money for a boy by his enterprise which like a good son with a clear apprehension of domestic circumstances he gave to his mother at the time of his introduction to the reader lawry had just piloted a canal boat with movable masts from whitehall to plattsburg and was working his passage home on the mississippi captain john feels bad about the loss of his sail said mr randall as the sloop's boat pulled off from the shore yes he does but it was his own fault replied lawry he paid too much attention to his dinner at the time that's true he was very fond of the green apple pies well they were good added the young pilot i'm sorry he lost his sail it wasn't worth much though it was a bad time to lose it he lost his temper too i wanted to land on the other side but the captain was so cross i didn't like to ask him when we were so close to this shore your father is the ferryman i believe yes sir will you ask him to take me over he's going right over in the large boat for there's a team waiting for him replied lawry pointing to a horse and wagon the owner of which had sounded the horn just as the passengers from the boat landed ask him to be as quick as possible for i'm in a hurry added the bank director won't you come into the house sir no i will sit down under this tree lawry went into the house where the family were at dinner the meal having been delayed by the absence of the ferryman on the other side of the lake the youth was greeted coldly by his father and very warmly by his mother i'm glad you've got home lawry for mr sherwood has been after you three times said mrs wilford when the young pilot had been duly welcomed by all the family what does he want asked lawry his little steamboat is at port henry and he wants you to go up and pilot her down the woodville yes that's her name i believe well i'm all ready to go sit down and eat your dinner i've been to dinner mr sherwood wanted you to go up in the sherman but it is too late for her and he may go in the night boat i'm ready when he is father there is a gentleman outside who wants to go over the lake and there is a team waiting in the road continued lawry they must wait till i've done my dinner replied the ferryman who is the gentleman mr randall he is a director in a bank and has six thousand dollars with him i suppose so every man but me has six thousand dollars in his pocket where's he going to to shoreham and he wants to get there by five o'clock if he can what's he travelling with so much money for i don't know it is in his coat pocket and it would have gone overboard if it hadn't been for me the ferryman finished his dinner in moody silence he seemed to be thinking of the subject always uppermost in his mind his thoughts stimulated no doubt by the fact that his expected passenger carried a large sum of money on his person mr randall is in a hurry father 
interposed lawry when the ferryman had set a good half hour after his son's arrival he must wait till i get ready he's got money and i haven't but i'm just as good as he is i don't know why i'm poor when so many men are rich but i'm going to be rich somehow or other said he with more earnestness than he usually exhibited i'm too honest for my own good i'm going to do as other men do and i shall wake up rich some morning as they do then i shan't have to go when folks blow the horn they'll be willing to wait for me then don't keep the gentleman waiting father added mrs wilford i'm going to be rich somehow or other continued the ferryman still pursuing the exciting line of thought he had before taken up i'm going to be rich by hook or by crook this making haste to get rich ruins men sometimes husband and haste makes waste then if i can only get rich i'll risk being ruined said john wilford as he rose from the table and put on his hat he looked more moody and discontented than usual instead of hastening to do the work which was waiting for him he stood before the window looking out into the garden mrs wilford told him the gentleman would be impatient and he finally left the house and walked down to the ferry-boat i wonder what your father is thinking about said mrs wilford as the door closed behind him i don't know replied lawry he don't seem to be thinking that people won't wait forever for him i guess i'll go up to mr sherwood's and see when he wants me you must fix up a little before you go replied the prudent mother they are very grand people up at mr sherwood's and you must look as well as you can i'll put on my best clothes added lawry in half an hour he had changed his dress and looked like another boy mrs wilford adjusted a few stray locks of his hair and as he put on his new straw hat and left the house her eye followed him with a feeling of motherly pride he was a good boy and had the reputation of being a very smart boy and she may be pardoned for the parental vanity with which she regarded him while he visits the house of mr sherwood we will follow his father down to the ferry where the bank director was impatiently waiting his appearance after the shower the sun had come out brightly and the wind had abated so that there was hardly breeze enough to ruffle the waters of the lake it was intensely warm and mr randall had taken off his coat again but he was careful to keep it on his arm at the approach of the ferryman he went into the boat where he was followed by the vehicle that had been waiting so long for a passage across the lake john wilford pushed off the boat with a pole and trimmed the sail which was the motive power of the craft when there was any wind the ferry-boat was a large bateau or flat-boat the slope at the ends being so gradual that a wagon could pass down over it to the bottom of the boat this inclined plane was extended by a movable platform about six feet wide which swung horizontally up and down like a great trap-door when the ferry-boat touched the shore this platform was let down upon the ground forming a slope on which carriages were driven into and out of the bateau the wind was very light and the clumsy craft moved very slowly so slowly that the passage promised to be a severe trial to the patience of mr randall who had hoped to reach shoreham by five o'clock he was not in a very amiable frame of mind he was angry at the delay in starting and he was vexed because the wind would not blow 
he walked nervously from the forward platform to the after one, with his coat still on his arm. "'We shall not get over to-night,' said he impatiently, as he stopped by the side of the ferryman, and threw his coat down upon the platform, while he wiped the perspiration from his brow. "'Yes, I guess we shall,' replied John Wilford. "'I'll give you a dollar if you will land me at Pointville by three o'clock. "'I can't make the wind blow if you would give me a hundred dollars. "'Can't you use the pole or the oars?' said the bank director petulantly. "'You kept me waiting half an hour before you started.' "'I couldn't help that,' replied John Wilford. Mr. Randall walked to the forward platform, fretting with impatience at the indifference of the ferryman. He stood for a few moments gazing at the Vermont shore, and appeared to be engaged in estimating the distance yet to be accomplished. The calculation was not satisfactory, and the bank director's wrath was on the increase. With hasty step he walked aft again. "'I think we shall have more wind in a minute,' said John Wilford, as he stepped down from the platform and adjusted the sheet. "'If we don't, I shall go crazy,' replied Mr. Randall. When he had placed one foot on the platform, by some means the drop, true to its name, went down and splashed in the water. The bank director stepped back in season to save himself from a cold bath or a watery grave, as the case might be. "'My coat! Save my coat!' shouted Mr. Randall, as the garment rolled off the platform into the water. "'Why didn't you hold on to it?' said John Wilford. "'Save my coat! There is six thousand dollars in the pocket!' groaned the unhappy bank director. End of chapter 2 Recording by Scarlet, Louisiana